So what we're going to do, we're just going to open um, in prayer <coughs> and then we're going to get into, I'm Roa, thank you, bless you, and then we'll get into our teaching. So let me pray. <coughs> Father, in the name of your son Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. Lord, we know that the entrance of your word brings light, it brings illumination. Father, we are in need of revelation. And we pray that during our time together that your Holy Spirit will do the work that only he can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just open your Bibles, please, um, to Acts 10. And um, we're going to read a familiar text. Acts 10. And we're going to read from verses 36 to 38. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What we hope to do in the time that we have is to really consider how we can activate and develop um, a healing ministry. That's really some of our, um, or at least one of our key aims. We also want to discover some key principles of walking in a healing ministry. And I think that as we go on, we will begin to discover that there are some things that are very specific to you and are very specific to the way in which God uses you, even though it is the same Holy Spirit, and he is very much um, imparting healing ministry to the body of Christ, you will still begin to understand that there are some specific ways in which that healing ministry is activated in your life. <clears throat> and ultimately to bring hope and encouragement to people we meet. We're living in a world that desperately needs to experience God's healing power. So we want to explore um, that in some ways. In terms of outcome, we want to recognize the role that healing played in the ministry of Jesus and still plays because we are actually the body of Christ. So essentially we are the extension um, of the Lord's ministry. In fact, we are commissioned to propagate what he started and to develop an awareness of when healing is possible. So one of the things that we'll look at is how sensitivity to these moments and these opportunities are really, really important. And lastly, <coughs> over the next two days, to identify a form of healing that already is probably present in your life. Um, one of the incredible things about all ministry is how much God actually brings out by way of revelation. 
rather than impartation. What I mean by that is that sometimes we may go to God and say, God, you know, I want you to give me a healing ministry, give me a healing ministry, <clears throat> but through him opening up your eyes through revelation, you, had, you, you start to discover, wow, that, that gift and that ability has been there probably for many, many years, but through accurate knowledge and wisdom, it actually comes to the forefront. <clears throat> so we want to, in the time we have, make some what I call basic assumptions, okay? And... 1 Peter 1, 2 to 4, I think is really important for us to look at. So if we can just turn to um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. And forgive me for kind of um, speeding along um, because there is a lot that we want to get through. So 1 Peter 1, 2 to 4, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, <coughs> reserved in heaven for you. Now, what is clear from the scripture that we read is that being born again gives us an incredible privilege, but an incredible access to the things of God. There are things by virtue of relationship that we have inherited. And the one thing about an inheritance is that it means that someone, in terms of lineage, has paid the price for you to receive it. So when it comes to a healing ministry, the, the thing that is really, really crucial is for us to understand that through the atonement of Christ, which we'll look at in more detail, we have received these spiritual inheritance, these spiritual attributes that enable us literally to act like him. I also want to just <coughs> read to you briefly um, 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and it's similar discourse. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of <clears throat> Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Please listen to this one, loved ones. Verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. <clears throat> what an incredible promise. In other words, by being born again, and, and one of the kind of translations for that phrase, being born again, suggests being born from above. So by being born again, 
by being born from above, by being born again from a different realm, from the kingdom of God, from the heart of God, we now have the ability to partake and to be partakers of the divine nature. So what am I trying to suggest to you? That when you start to move in healing, when you start to move in ministry, it is a reflection of the divine nature. When you look and you see the way Jesus touched people's lives, brought healing, brought hope, that was a reflection of the divine nature. So every time you move in the miraculous, you are partaking of the divine nature. It is a supernatural experience. And as I said, through the atonement, we have access, access to that inheritance and we have the rights through Christ to be partakers. Now, let me put it to you in, a, in another way. If I prepare a meal for you and you come and eat that meal and hopefully you enjoy it, you would be called a partaker. You didn't prepare the meal. <laughs> you didn't cook the meal. And quite frankly, you can't actually take credit for the meal. But you are partaker of the meal. And that's the way in which we need to consider when we start talking about a healing ministry. That we didn't create that healing ministry. We didn't die to release that healing ministry to the body of Christ. But because of grace and through his knowledge, we are partakers. And that is why Peter consistently says throughout his teachings, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Because without grace, many of these gifts can become an abuse. And what happens is that the more that you grow in grace and the more that you grow in knowledge, it's the more effective you will find ministry. So, <clears throat> going on from here in terms of basic assumptions, I just want to lay a bit of a foundation today. It is clear for us that healing is a part of the atonement of Christ. And this is really important. There is certain, or there are uh, people within the theological field who believe that healing in this context is no longer relevant. They believe that it was only for the time of the apostles. But why this is such an important principle is that if healing is part of the atonement, and you are saying that healing stopped during the time of the apostles, then it would suggest that the eternal efficacy of the blood of Jesus also stopped during the time of the apostles, which would mean anyone after the time of the apostles could not be saved. So the fact that we accept that healing is part of the atonement and that people can still be born again people can still be baptized in the spirit, people can still be delivered, suggests that it is still very, very relevant for us. Now, there are just three things about the atonement, what I call the atonement principle. Number one, it implies reconciliation. 
So one of the things, one of the objectives for healing and one of the objectives for the whole atonement of Christ is to reconcile man back to God, to bring people in. Imagine that you are a fisherman and you've got a hook and you cast your hook out and once you know that the, the, the line starts to move, you know you've made contact and you reel them in. That's very much about um, the whole thing of atonement. That what Christ wanted to do was bring man back to himself. The second thing about atonement is that it's explicit through action. If you're talking about atonement, there has to be some action involved. So when we talk about healing over the next couple of days, yes, it might be implied that it means reconciliation. But for it to be realized, it demands action. And the third thing is the act of amendment. The act of amendment. There's something that needs to be corrected. There, there may be something that you observe in someone's life or in your own life, and you just sense in your spirit that God wants to correct that. And that's one of the beautiful things about the healing ministry, that when you are moved with compassion, you're often moved because you see something that needs to be corrected. You see something that by the power of God can be actually amended. But we know that God is ultimately the healer, and I don't think there's anyone in here that would dispute that. So, in terms of understanding God's perspective on health, it is really important that we try to extrapolate from the Bible the different words that are used in response or in connection to healing, okay? So, <clears throat> we know in 3 John 1 verse 2, which is very, very familiar to you, the word health there is a Greek word called hygiano, which literally means sound health or, very interestingly, uncorrupted health. Uncorrupted health. I would really encourage you, one of the... One of my heroes in terms of healing ministry is a guy, guy called John G. Lake. Um, you can Google him. And he made a, an incredible statement, and he suggested that sickness was small doses of death. Yeah? And I just think that, you know, this Greek word where it talks about uncorrupted health, that if you continually expose yourself to corruption over a period of time, something will be destroyed. So we know in terms of us as believers, it's, you see, sometimes we see a demand, okay? You might be driving on the, the road and, and you see like, you know, four people from your church who are at the bus stop. So you know that they need a lift, so there is a demand. But one of the things that you have to be aware of is capacity. And whenever you ignore capacity, then you actually bring injury. Okay? So one of the things that the Lord did incredibly over three to three and a half years was, if you like, increase the capacity of his disciples to literally walk in his ministry. So even though 
the anointing of God is very clearly on your life. One of the things that we mustn't ignore is that God often has a process whereby he increases your capacity so that you can actually meet a greater demand. So one of the things that God said to his disciples in Luke 9, 1 to 2 and Luke 10, 19, he says, behold, I give you power and I give you authority. Now, those two words are what we call, they're taken from what we call the Greek pantheon of, of words for power. Because sometimes when we see the word power, a better context actually means authority. But they are quite distinctive. Because power speaks of ability. Authority speaks of the right to use the power. So let me explain this to you. I'm driving along the road and a stranger comes out and puts his hand up and tells me to stop. Now, because I don't recognize his authority, I keep driving. Even though he might be muscle-bound, he might be six foot five, just because he looks like he has power, because I don't recognize his authority, I ignore it. One of the incredible things is that God has said to every single one of us, I've given you power, but I've given you authority. Now, the devil does actually have power. But what Jesus has given us is authority over all the power of the enemy. Are we, are, we, are we clear on that? So the reality is, is that as we develop a healing ministry, we will be encountered with what we call contrary or contrary powers. Powers that want to counteract what First John says about being in good health, being in uncorrupted health. But it's the authority that makes the difference, and that's really, really important. True healing ministry, in its basic form, is going to be like Christ. I can't emphasize this enough. Um, I remember some years ago, um, back in, in fact, it was in 1999, it was my first trip to India. Um, I administered in, in a meeting, and most meetings in, in India tend to be healing meetings, and um, God did some incredible things. But I was really, really tired um, after that. And I remember walking back to, uh, in fact, I stayed in the village, it was like a hut. And there was a young man that was, um, what was trying to reach me. And those around me at the time were saying to me, look, you know, you're really tired, you're really exhausted. And I was really moved with compassion. Because when I saw his arm, basically his arm... <coughs> was slightly deformed. It's like there had been something that had stunted his growth. And even though I was absolutely exhausted physically, I remember just reaching my hand out like this and saying, you know, Lord Jesus, you know, just heal him. And I was absolutely shocked because what I could feel was his arm literally going out and back, out and back, out and back. And the reason why that changed my life, because I realized that if I wasn't moved with compassion, I would have just went straight to my, I wouldn't call it a hotel, my hut, and just went to bed. But it was being like Christ that created the opportunity for someone to be ministered unto. Sometimes we're waiting for this incredible uh, anointing or feeling to come on us when it's actually from the bowels. In fact, when, when the Bible uses this word bowels, 
particularly in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it talks about your gut. It literally talks about your intestines, what you feel inside. So when we talk about being Christ-like uh, and we talk about being hidden in Christ, it's about not just moving in his anointing, but moving with his heart. So the reality is we have put on Christ, we are hidden in Christ, and one of the greatest mysteries is that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, why is this so important? Very early on in, in, in my healing ministry, if I could say so, I really struggled with this idea of putting on Christ, but more so being hidden in Christ. I remember being in a meeting where there was a young girl that um, was lame. <clears throat> And they brought her onto the stage. And I just thought, that's the last thing I want. Let me just pray for her privately. <clears throat> and then to top it all, someone said, oh, let's film this. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you know, this is it. This is going to be the end of me. I'm going to be on YouTube, you know. In all those thumbs down. Um, <clears throat> this is why the church destroys people, because they pray and they don't. And suddenly, the Lord revealed to me about being hidden in him. I was so concerned about my own reputation, I was so concerned about my own ability to bring healing that I'd forgotten that I was actually hidden in Christ. Now, this concept is so important because when you approach sickness, ultimately that sickness recognizes Christ. It recognizes Christ. The problem is, is that oftentimes we want things to recognize us. But once I got my head around that it was not my reputation, it was Christ. It was not my anointing, it was Christ. It was my heart that was being influenced by Christ. It removed the pressure. And oftentimes, because of that fear, we often don't want to pray for people. And thank God, she was healed, she started to walk. And we give God the glory. But it was this whole idea of being hidden in Christ. I'm hidden in him. You know, Paul, you know, using hyperbole where he says, you know, I literally die daily. So what happens is that in healing, you've got to become more God conscious than self-conscious. The, the more self-conscious you are, I'm telling you, loved ones, it'll be a barrier. You'll go to pray for someone and be like, no, no, I, I can't do it just in case. But when you become more God conscious, what happens is that you recognize that you're literally hidden hidden in Christ. <clears throat> I love Mark chapter 2 verse 9 and, 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 and once again I'm just laying a foundation. This was a scripture that really helped me. Now how many of you have ever led anyone to Christ? Just lift your hand. Do you know what Jesus did? I mean he was just the best teacher. Do you remember in Mark chapter 2 uh, the story of a man that appears to be a paralytic and certainly lame. And um, they, they break through the, the roof, the climb up, break through the roof, they're lowering him down in the midst of Jesus. And Jesus, the first thing Jesus says to him, you know, son, is thy sins be forgiven. And they're absolutely shocked. They said, how can you say that? And Jesus says, which is easier? To say that this man's sins be forgiven or to say to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And what Jesus did by that statement 
is saying that leading someone to salvation and leading someone into healing, there's no difference. If you can lead someone to Christ, you can lead someone into healing. And if you can lead someone into experiencing healing, you can lead someone into experiencing Christ. He literally demystified it. He says, look, don't try and make this more complicated than it is. As, a, as he's literally saying, as the son of man, if I can heal his heart, I can heal his body. Okay? So we see that the whole thing of salvation and healing, once again, you begin to see this correlation. So... For us, and I won't spend too much on this, but someone asked me once, you know, how do we know whether healing is from God? And I use James 1, verse 16 and 17, and also Acts 10, 36 to 38. It says, all the gifts, in fact, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. One thing you'll know with me, I like to keep my theology very, very simple. Jesus Christ was anointed and went about doing good. <laughs> if, even if you don't remember anything else in Scripture, know that when you are anointed, it's supposed to produce things that are good. So the reality is, is that when you observe sickness, you've got to ask yourself, is it good? When someone is suffering, when someone is impaired, and limited in what they want to do for the Lord and, and maybe serve their family, you've got to ask yourself, is it good? Now, <clears throat> Romans 12 verse 1 extrapolates on that. It says that as believers, when your mind is renewed, in other words, when your mind is transformed, you'll be able to prove, that word prove literally means test, what is that good? Someone say good. Someone say acceptable, acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, <clears throat> let me put it to you this way. One of the biggest fallacies regarding uh, sickness is that we don't put it through the Romans 12 verse 1 text. Now, this is going to shock you. There are some times where it may seem good for you not to be well. I knew, I knew it would all go quiet. David said, it was good that I had been afflicted. The problem is, is that we create a theology around, yeah, it was really good that I was sick because by me being sick, then I, I got closer to God. But is it always acceptable? Let's go a stage further. It may be times when you think, yeah, it's acceptable. I didn't really want to go work today. So at least I don't need to lie, you know. That's good and it's acceptable. But it's that last word. Perfect. Is it really perfect? And I can challenge you to take any sickness scenario through the Romans 12 lens. And I can guarantee it will not pass the test. Is it really good is it really acceptable and is it really the perfect will of God? And when you put it through that lens, you realize, no. Somewhere along the line, it falls over. Okay? So, the reality is, 
sickness is never defined in scripture as being a gift from God. Okay? Scripture never confirms that God takes pleasure in the sickness of his people. It doesn't bring him pleasure. And um, how we know that sickness and disease is directly against the creative order, everyone say creative order, is because the Bible tells us that we were actually created for his pleasure. So the antithesis of this would be anything that doesn't bring him pleasure in the same way sin doesn't bring God pleasure. So the reality is, is that God has provided gifts so that through our bodies and through our life holistically, we can bring him pleasure. So he provides healing to counteract the incidences of sickness. Now, once again, another shocking statement. The Bible does not tell us we will never be sick. And sadly, sometimes individuals who have great and profound healing ministries would often imply that they are never sick. And I remember some years ago, just doing, I mean, I like to study um, individuals and realizing that some of these individuals have had heart attack, high bypass, bypasses, etc. Now, it doesn't lessen their message. But what it does do is make healing ministry much more accessible to the body of Christ. Because if someone thinks that the standard is that you will never ever be sick and they're sick, that actually might be a barrier to them moving in healing ministry. Let let me just tell you something very, very uh, powerful that changed my life. About 15 years ago, um, I was invited to a pastor's meeting. And it was an evangelist, uh, I think it was from Croatia or somewhere, and I was really excited. Sean was with me and put on a really nice meal. I said, I can't wait to see this guest speaker because I heard he has a healing ministry. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I think, you know, the, the guest speaker's going to come on. And suddenly I see them wheel this man in a wheelchair out to minister. I thought, oh, <laughs> Okay. And he, he preached an incredible word. And it was something he said that really was profound. He said, I know that some of you may be um, asking, you know, how can he have a healing ministry and be in a wheelchair? And I've never forgot what he said. He goes, listen, me being in a wheelchair and me being slightly physically impaired is not a hindrance to my healing ministry. But some of you who need healing tonight that sickness may be a hindrance. And that stuck with me. That one of the things that God will often commit himself to is to remove the sickness that becomes the hindrance. So again, to remove the sickness that is a hindrance to your destiny. And that is why sometimes some of these great men and women, you may, you may think it's a bit of a paradox. Why am they... Why have they got asthma? It's not a hindrance to their ministry. And God can still use them to heal people with asthma and heal people with high blood pressure and heal people who suffer from migraine because it's not a hindrance to their ministry. Yeah, And I hope that really helps some of us 
Yeah. So the reality is a gift cannot be purchased by man, but it can be utilized through obedience. I cannot stress how much obedience plays in moving in a healing ministry. Because what happens is that most of the time, the mind wants to rationalize the event. Okay? And obedience is literally submission to God's mission. It's literally saying, God, even though there's no rational explanation for it, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be obedient. Be obedient. So, I want to give you three very, very important definitions for any kind of infirmity in the Bible because these are really important. When you see the word sickness in the Bible, it normally suggests poor or de deteriorating health. So when you say to someone that I can't come into work today or I can't come to church today because I'm sick, it means that you have poor health or you are deteriorating. Your health is deteriorating. Okay. The second word that you'll often find in the New Testament is the word disease. And it's normally or generally a debilitating virus. Something that is spreading, causing what I would call functional disorder. Functional disorder. So we got sickness, which suggests deteriorating health, and we have disease. So something that is causing functional disorder. And this is a big one. The third one is infirmity, usually a physical impairment. So what we see through the ministry of Jesus is him addressing sickness where someone's health is not great, challenging and healing those that had diseases, so they had functional disorders, and someone who had physical impairment. Okay? Now, what you may find in your own life is that you may have an emphasis in a particular area. Okay? So, let me just deal, for example, with um, sickness, deteriorating health. You may find that you have a propensity to reach people who are depressed. People who are sick mentally, have mental illnesses. And thank God that we live in a time where the stigma is being removed. But you may find that you are just moved with compassion and you may find that through poems or through songs that you write that it brings healing. You may also find, like someone like John G. Lake, that people who have functional disorders, that when you pray for them or you lay hands on them and they go and get a checkup, it could be um, diabetes, that they're totally healed. And there are others who have what we call more uh, infirmities anointing where people that may have a broken leg or a broken arm and you lay hands on there and suddenly they're able to walk again, okay? So it's just important for us to kind of look at those things. Now, without looking at your notes, how many recorded miracles um, were accredited to Jesus in the New Testament? Unless you memorize the notes. G give me a number. 
<laughs> what did I say about obedience anyway? Yeah, there are approximately 37 recorded um, miracles. And what is interesting is that <coughs> at least 21 of those was directly administering healing. 21. You know, so what we are suggesting is that nearly 75% of the Lord's entire ministry was healing. Now, if we are Christ-like and we are partakers of the divine nature, healing should be an integral part of our ministry. Do you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, if, if I'm leading worship, if, if I'm... If I'm preaching, if I'm teaching, if I'm doing a seminar, someone needs to feel better. I mean, it's simple theology. Someone's soul and spirit needs to feel better because the very nature of Christ is that he did good and people felt better when they encountered him. So, you know, the, the, the challenge is that every time you are engaged in ministry, are people actually feeling better? Because, let me put it to you this day, I call it the transcendency of God. The act and experience of healing can confirm that God is in a situation. So for, for some people, when they see healing take place in their life, they said, I know God's got to be in this because there's absolutely no way that I could have been healed. There's no way that I could have felt better unless there was divine engagement. And that's fantastic. But healing is never used to confirm the existence of God. Let me explain it to you. I don't want to confuse you. The act or experience of healing can confirm that God is engaged in that situation. But we should never get to a place where we use healing to confirm the existence of God. Because if someone is not healed, does that mean God doesn't exist? And I'm always very careful Whenever I'm ministering to people in terms of healing, and don't get me wrong, when you're sick, when you've got a disease or a physical impairment, you can become desperate. But we've got to be so careful that healing is not what we use as the premise to confirm God's existence. And then people say, well, yeah, if there was a God, he would have healed me. Yeah, I've had enough of this. No, healing confirms that God was engaged in the process of healing. But we should never use healing to confirm the existence of God. Yeah, that's really, really important. Okay. So for us, let's look at some ministerial directives. Are there any questions? I'm, I'm going to give you time at the end. Any questions before we go on to this part? Don't feel shy. Please go ahead. Yeah. 
We're going to look at this tomorrow, but that's a really good question. And what we're going to touch on tomorrow is how important word of knowledge and wisdom plays in the area of bringing healing, okay? Because sometimes um, through a lack of wisdom, we might administer or seek to minister something at the wrong time and or in the wrong way. So, for example, um, there may be a time when what God is saying, look, it's about dealing with disease. I know the obvious miracles because there's people in wheelchairs at the front. But right now, what, what I'm saying to you, the word of knowledge is that you need to pray that those individuals who have diseases are healed. And there'll be a directive in that. One of the biggest challenges you have individually is to not flow with what you're comfortable with. Because, for example, in, in my life, for some reason, people with back problems get healed regularly. And it's very easy for me to say, right, can't wait for the backs. And, you know, <laughs> or could I just let you fall over and then heal you or something? But, you know, then the Lord said, no, it, it's about emotional healing. There are people that are troubled in their hearts and minds. So you need to release this word and it's going to bring healing to their minds and their hearts. But hopefully we'll come on to that. Yeah? Yeah, please. It could, it, yeah, it could fall into that. It could fall into, the, because the reality is, is that the trouble in the mind is really the trouble in the heart. You know, the, you, the, in the realm of the soul, that the, the mind and the heart, the, 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 there's a correlation between them. You know, that's what the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, so you think, how can I think in my heart? Because it gauges your mind. But it is a massive, massive area. I, I want to suggest to you that probably the biggest need for healing in the body of Christ is healing of the heart and the mind. Absolutely huge. Because it's the area that is not, it's not ostensibly obvious. It's, you know, people walk in, we all walk in, we look great. But if there's troubling of the mind, you know, doctors tell you it, transla it eventually translates into the body. It, can cover it could cover all three, yeah. Go ahead. No, don't apologise. Good, all good. Yeah, right. Really great question. The thing about um, God, and particularly in the era of healing, I've had to accept, despite all the years of studying, I'm going to have to live with some mysteries. In fact, I can guarantee that there's every single one of us here, as much as we're close to the Lord, we've had to live with an element of, mis of mystery. Why did grandmother die? Why did my father die when I was young? Why did that happen? I think what was great with this preacher is that he didn't create a theology around saying, yeah, God allows sickness. 
because the inverse is, it can be just as bad. He could have said, look, you see, God wants us to be sick as long as it doesn't hinder us. He didn't create a theology. He just said for him, that's what God said to him, that there wasn't a need. Why, why do you need to be, is it going to make you more effective? Is it, in fact, you could argue that his, his ministry was probably more effective because of his disposition. But what we don't want to do is create a theology and say, right, every time we're sick, let's just leave it there to see if it, you know. But what we do know is that God is totally committed to destiny. And anything that wants to interrupt that destiny, we should be aggressively after and say, look, in the name of Jesus, I'm not accepting this. This is stopping me from reaching these people or helping my family. I'm going to go for it. Yeah? Hello. Yeah, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Yeah. 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 Okay, we are going to look at this tomorrow, but it's. And actually look at that question because I think you're right. We tend to avoid that question. Let me just try and answer as best as I can. And this may show, the, the only time I've really talked about this is to my wife, that there are many wonderful people that as far as my own conviction is concerned, left the earth before the time. I, I, and this is just my conviction that, and, and I wasn't going to say, yeah, you know, this was... God's perfect will. No, there was just something in my spirit that said that person didn't have to go at this time. Similarly, I didn't want to change what I call the gold standard of Jesus. Because the gold standard of Jesus is so high is that he healed them all. So what I don't want is that because in my own ministry I've prayed for people and haven't been healed, to suddenly change the gold standard of Jesus, to say, well, yeah, we need to make exceptions. No, I think that we always got to go for gold. Do you know, it's, let me share this. It's a very, very strange example in answer to your question. I remember um, an American athlete, uh, Michael Johnson, being interviewed. Um, as you know, he's retired some time ago, multiple Olympic runner. And he said he noticed a difference between the American mentality and the British mentality. He says, the British people, they'll run in a race, they'll come forth, and they'll be happy, we'll be celebrating, we'll meet them at the airport. He says, the American mentality, he says, we run to win. He says, if we don't get gold, he says, no celebration. You know, and I think that, <laughs> I think that sometimes in our faith, it's a bit like that. It's like, well... You know, he died, yeah, but think of what he did. No, yes, he's with Jesus, but come on. It's, I think sometimes we need to say, look, we need to fight sickness and disease aggressively, you know. And there are times, um, which we'll come on to tomorrow as well, where sometimes God does not interrupt the natural law. So you might have someone who's abused their body for many, many years, and we then pray for healing and God just doesn't interrupt the timeline. He says, 
There's, there's a momentum here. So it, it's quite complex, but I think the big thing is that we don't change our standard. I will fight sickness right until the person takes their last breath, unless it's absolutely clear. The Lord says, look, I'm calling you home. That's okay, no worries. It's very painful. It's very difficult. And as I said, I think that there are times, and I really appreciate you sharing that, it falls into the realm of mystery. We really don't know. But I think that it is commendable that she fought to the end. Because to not fight to the end is almost to suggest that it's okay. It's not okay. When you see the devastation, her family, you know, 11-year-old, you know, it, it, where is the good, where, you know, where, where is the rejoicing? And I know we can extrapolate things from that, but I think it's something we should fight because Jesus came on earth and he was anointed and did good. All good gifts come from God. The good, perfect good, this is not perfect, but there is a mystery, there is a sense that in the wisdom of God, he has an answer. And oftentimes, God's answers cannot be understood intellectually by us. I often think, you know, when God is silent, it's because he knows I can't comprehend. But that's just me. I, I think that if he was to try and explain, it would be, you know, try and explain to Mary, look, you're going to have a child. How am I going to have a child without a man? Th there's that divine language that makes it difficult. And that's why I think that have you noticed there are no cases of Jesus praying for someone and them not being healed? Why, you know, if God wanted to help us, why didn't he just put at least one time where he prayed for someone, even the guy that he touched twice, he still ended up being healed. Couldn't he have just put at least one time where someone went and then we would think, oh, praise God, at least Jesus. No, because... That's not his standard. His standard is my heart, my perfect will. I want my people to be in health. You know, so, you know, some, sometimes, you know, in, in a fight, I don't know if you guys ever watch boxing, barbaric sport. Um, uh, you know, someone is injured. I don't know if you saw the David Hay fight. Um, he had five rounds where he was injured. But he, re he said he refused to give up. He'd rather be stopped and know that he went down being a fight, and he actually got more credibility out of that fight than probably most of his career. And I just think, yeah, let I mean, you've touched on this, and if, if you get a chance, and I know I've been mentioning his name several times, um, some of you have heard of John G. Lake, right? Probably for me, one of the heroes of healing. He grew up, I think he had 16, 15 siblings, most of them died. So when he grew up, he grew up going to funerals, having doctors come around his home. Then he gets married and, and, and his wife de develops, I think it's tuberculosis, and he's been told that she's going to die. And you think all of this, in fact, they thought it was actually a curse. But yet he went on to have probably 
one of the greatest ministries in the 20th century. How can that be? How can you reconcile the fact that all of, so many of his brothers and sisters died, but yet he had an incredible, he had such a powerful ministry, as you know, he was into uh, science. They put bacteria on his hand and, and they saw it disappear, they saw it healed. But yet, his background, when you did his profile, so many people died around him. I can't explain that. But yet, God used him in a healing ministry. Yeah? Really good questions, and please don't feel bad about interrupting. So, let's bring uh, part one to a little bit of a conclusion, then we're going to have a bit more of a question and answer time. Luke 10, verse 8 and 9. Very, very clear directives, okay? Jesus said, preach the kingdom. Heal the sick. I love this verse, you know, because it says heal the sick. Heal the sick. It doesn't actually say it's optional. Heal the sick. Can you imagine being a disciple and being told to go out and heal the sick? Well, can't we just invite them to church? No, heal the sick. Can't we just pray for them? Heal the sick. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick. So what we can see, this correlation between preaching the kingdom and healing the sick. Okay? Somehow the kingdom, the, the message of the kingdom provides the environment for healing the sick. I'll let you into a little um, personal testimony. The first notable healing I ever experienced back in 1992 in East Africa I didn't lay hands. All I was doing was preaching. And there was, a, a, and what, it was a incredible. There was a Muslim woman, because, you know, it was in a village, so it's out, speakers, you know, cry across the village, people can hear. And there was a Muslim woman who heard me preaching about a man being healed from the scripture with a withered hand. And she was at the back, and she had the deformed hand. And while I was preaching the kingdom, she was healed. So she came forward. I mean, I was just shocked. To be honest, I was shocked. I didn't think those, I always thought, you know, you had to call them out, give them a good shake, put their hands on them. She was healed because somehow the preaching of the kingdom provided the atmosphere to heal the sick. Okay? And we'll touch on this a little bit later. Well, I feel this very strongly because some of you also even through worship, can create a kingdom atmosphere that brings healing. And we'll, 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 we'll touch on that in a minute. So, Matthew 10, 8 again. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. We go back. Sorry. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. <laughs> Cast out devils. And this is what Jesus says. Freely you have received, freely give. I mean, doesn't Jesus make it sound so easy? He's like saying, what more do you want? You've received it freely, so give it freely. <laughs> but this is the standard. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Have you noticed that so many times in the life of Jesus, when people were healed, it totally changed their lives. 
it wasn't just a cosmetic thing. It changed their mindset. Because ultimately, healing needs to point to Christ. And I just love the fact that, you know, so many times when people were healed, they say, oh, we want to follow you, Jesus. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Because healing doesn't necessarily mean they're saved. And what is incredible, there is no inference here that you should only heal those who are believers. He says, heal the sick. And there are times when God will say, look, that person absolutely hates me. Go and heal them. That person doesn't even believe in me. Go and bring healing to them. That person talks about you. Go and bring healing to them. That person hates church. Go and bring healing to them. Heal the sick. It says you've received it freely, so don't put a price on it. Don't put a criteria on it. So what did Jesus do when faced with sickness? I've got five minutes and then we'll have a bit of a question time. He preached the kingdom. <laughs> and he healed every sickness and disease among the people. Whenever he was faced with sickness, he preached the kingdom and he healed every single sickness and disease among the people. And in Matthew 9, verse 37 to 39, his heart was, I wish I had more people that did that. I wish I had more people that were committed and passionate about healing all manner of sickness and disease. I wish, in fact, pray to the Father that there'll be more people who are not put off by the disease because they can see the heart. They're not put off by the infirmity because they can see the potential. I remember some years ago, uh, and this was before people really understood AIDS, um, I went to pray for someone and um, I had a team with me, it was in Africa, I had a team and um, they said, look, this woman's dying. And um, when we went into the house, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, it, you could smell death. And I remember the team that I had, said, oh, I ain't going in there, she's got AIDS, ain't going in depth. And it was really heartbreaking, she literally just left on the bed. And, um, you know, they said, look, she's dying, she's going to die. And we, we prayed um, for God to heal her. And she didn't die when they expected it. I think it was about a year later. I remember getting uh, the, the message that she had died. But what really encouraged me was that maybe for the next 12 months of her life, it gave her hope. It gave her hope. And we don't realize that hope is also a form of healing. Because the Bible says that when hope's deferred, it makes the heart sick. And you can imagine that when people didn't even want to come in there and pray for her, and there was a man from England, just wanted, and I laid hands. Because, you know, my team said, I ain't touching her. Maybe, you know, didn't want to touch her. But just someone touching her gave her hope. I think that there's a real sense of relationship. I think I need to stop here. I want to pray with you. Um, that healing should be 
the behavior of kingdom citizens. I can't say I'm part of the kingdom and I'm not passionate about healing. You know, Jeremiah 30 verse 17 says, I will restore health to you. And you know what it says? And heal you of your wounds. And what's so powerful about healing ministry, which we'll look at in more detail tomorrow, is that, you know, wounds are often not seen, but they're still felt. And Jesus says, look, as far as I'm concerned, if you are going to be a partaker of my divine nature, I'm concerned about your wounds. I'm concerned about the fact that you have an impairment. I'm concerned about your mind. I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about the things that trouble your spirit. And I just believe that so much would be achieved if every single one of us were conscious of our potential to walk in a healing ministry. Let me just um, say this last point. The reality is for me, the starting point and the continual point and the ending point is partnership with the Holy Spirit. Healing or bringing healing to someone's life is not something that you should say, look, I want to do this for God. Sometimes when I do seminars like this, they say, yeah, I, I, want, I want a healing ministry because I want to do this for God. The reality is divine partnership is what we do with God. It changes everything. Because if you're doing it with God, that God's saying, look, you can't be more passionate than me to get this person healed. Come and join me. Because sometimes it can feel like, God, look, I'm standing in front of this person. I, I know that they're troubled in their mind. Can you come and join me? But when the Bible says that with God all things are possible, it's actually saying God's already there. He's already standing over that person saying, look, come and do this with me. So healing ministry is what we do with God rather than what we do for him. It's what we do with him. And the more that we learn to partner with him, we'll realize that it's a done deal. Could you just stand with me? Well, I'm going to take some questions, but there's just something um, wonderful in the atmosphere that I felt. And I hope this really, um, I hope this really helps you. Um, I want you to imagine that every time you know that someone is hurting, can I just hold on? Every time you know that someone's hurting, wouldn't it be great to know before you even get to them, God is already there? And that's a word for you. So literally, because God's already there, you just come alongside him. Mark 16 says, God was working with them. Confirming the word through signs and wonders. Can we just pray just for a few moments, Lord,
help me to know that you're already there. You're already there. That, that person that you've already laid on my heart, that, that family member that's not well, you're already standing there. Help me to partner with you, to partner with you, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, Oh, there is a strong healing anointing in this room. Lord, help me to see you already there. Oh, yes. Help me to see you already there. Whoa. You already there. You're already there. Oh, Lord. You're already there. Oh, Lord. You're already there. Does anyone here have um, any respiratory problems, any uh, asthma problems? I, I felt that very strongly at the beginning. I just want to pray for you. Just step out. Don't be embarrassed uh, or anything. Anyone with any respiratory uh, problems, um, particularly uh, asthma. Oh, Lord. Can you guys just help me? Let's just pray in the spirit if you can. Uh, this is all about Jesus. Thank you for being so honest. Jesus, Father God. Yeah. Father, we take authority over every respiratory problem. Father, open up an airway right now. <laughs> open up an airway, Lord, that will improve breathing in Jesus' name. Father, just thank you that you are a mighty healer. Father God, I just take authority right now over every respiratory problem. I command the airways to be made whole. Father, improve breathing right now, supernaturally, in the name of Jesus. Lord, as she take deep breaths, Lord, let there be a flow of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Father God, you sent your word and you healed them. Father God, I just thank you. Oh, Father, I just command every respiratory problem to be made whole in the name of Jesus. Father, Open up his airways right now. Bring complete healing, Lord. Improved breathing in the name of Jesus. Whoa. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we come against every hindrance that this respiratory problem has brought to this woman of God's life. Father, sovereignly, Oh, yes, Lord. All of the, the triggers we come against, Lord, we pray for wisdom. Reveal to her, Lord, everything that would be a trigger to every respiratory problem. And right now, Lord, give her a taste of the future. Lord, let her breathe in like never before in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you in the name of Jesus. You sent your word and you healed them. And Lord, I just speak right now that as every respiratory problem, every asthmatic problem, 
will go in Jesus' name, Lord. Bring healing. Lord, let those lungs just be cleansed right now. Every infection. Father, we bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We breathe in your air. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you in the name of Jesus that, Father God, you are the air we breathe. And we thank you in the name of Jesus for supernatural intervention. Father God, we command every single sickness and disease to go in the name of Jesus. Everything that would inflame his respiratory problems, go. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father. Father, 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 Father. Father. Everything, Lord, that might be hereditary in the air of his breathing, we take authority right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let there be an immediate change in his respiratory system. In the name of Jesus, Lord, let him breathe like never before. Without hindrance, in the name of Jesus, Father God, let the wind of your spirit flow through him right now. Flow through him, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Someone going to get some water? Yeah. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have touched her today. I thank you, Lord, for her sensitivity to broken hearts. And I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you will ignite her spirit like never before. Give her a passion. <laughs> Give her a passion, Lord, to see the sick healed. Especially, Lord, the, the emotionally downtrodden and the emotionally broken. Lord, may the anointing of your spirit rest on her today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've got time literally just for um, five minutes of um, questions. Um, so feel free to, um, to share um, or to ask any questions. Um, please go ahead. What I'm suggesting, now let me try and clarify. 
if you went to an unsaved person on the premise that if you are healed, that will prove that God exists. What I was suggesting that that's a dangerous precedent to set. Because if they're not healed, does that mean then that God doesn't exist? What healing confirms to someone who doesn't know God is yes, there is a God. But it's not the sole thing that you're using to confirm his existence. Because the reality is, is that we know from scripture that a lot of the people that were healed didn't necessarily follow him. But what it did, what they can never deny, is that God intervened in their life. There are also people that have been healed and still will turn around and say, I don't believe in God. But oftentimes, and it's not normally from the Christian point of view, we can feel pressured to say, look, okay, I'm going to prove to you that God exists. And you are going to be healed of that cancer. The danger of that is that, yes, if it happens, fantastic. But if it doesn't happen, that person then is going to leave with the, with the directive that you've said the outcome of this prayer or the outcome of your health is, go is directly related to whether God exists or not. Absolute, that's absolutely fine. But even for ourselves, <coughs> I'm, I never have God in a position where if I don't get the desired outcome, it changes my perspective of who he is. Because the inverse can be that, Lord, I need you to show me that you are omnipotent, you are all-powerful. And God, if you just do this, then I'm telling you, my faith is going to go sky high. I will walk with you. And, and once again, it's, it's, it's almost putting God on trial to say that if you don't, I mean, you probably heard this message preached because it's a good message to preach from. You know when the preachers say with about the three Hebrew boys, and even if God doesn't, I love that. Because what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar was that it's it almost, and it's like a paradox. He says, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, and that doesn't make sense. But he's literally saying that what they were saying in terms of their theology is that our belief in the existence of God is not based on this outcome. Now, he is going to do it, but I want you to know King Nebuchadnezzar who is not saved, that even if he didn't, we're still not going to bow to you to serve another God. Does that help a little bit? Absolutely, don't get me wrong. All signs and wonders, there's a reason why they're called signs. Because 
they point, they point to God. But it's a bit like, let me get, get, I don't know if I'm giving a good example. When I was driving up here, you know, um, I saw a sign for Derby. But the sign isn't Derby. And even if there were no signs, Derby still exists. Does that make sense? But I can't deny that the signs help me to get to Derby. They help me, but in their own existence, the signs are a bit of metal. Does that help a little bit? So what you're doing is absolutely right because what they are seeing are signs. But what you're not doing, which is great, you're not saying, look, um, I know your arm's broken, but and if it's not healed, then you can join with everyone else and say there's not a God, you know. But there are times, as I said, we'll look at this tomorrow, through word and knowledge, God will say like Elijah, right, let the God who answers by fire be the God that you serve. But remember that I, I said like when I gave the example about the meal, let God prepare the meal. And then we just partake with what he spread. If I set the, if I set the premise and said, right, you know, every single person in here, if they're not healed, then I'm not a man of God. Then you probably stone me. Unless God puts that in my spirit, then do you know what? It's, it's, I'm hidden in Christ. This is nothing to do with me. This is him orchestrating this, releasing this word. But I, what I'm not going to do is, is put God on trial to say, if it doesn't and if it does, you know. Does that help a bit? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're going to look at this tomorrow. Yeah, you want me to expand it? I mean, I can expand a little bit now. Um, that's all right. Uh, we'll, we'll just time warp. I've got one minute. There is something, and, and once again, is a bit of a mystery. The one thing that seems to happen in Scripture is that God honors people and he honors places. And because of him honoring places, he honors atmospheres. So, for example, you know, you go to Jerusalem, there's an atmosphere there. Certain people, when there's revivals in cities, they go into these cities. They jump on a plane like when there was a Toronto. There's something connected between atmosphere, people and places. The incredible thing about worship is that it sanctifies places. You know, it, it's almost as if, you know, when the Bible says, you know, hallowed be your name, you know, it, it, it sanctifies, it prepares places that makes miracles easy. It's, if, if I was to put it in another term, it's almost like if there's a veil, you know, we know there are heavenlies. Worship, prayer, giving, all those kind of things. It, it's like it reduces the veil. The veil between heaven and earth becomes so thin that it's like things just drop out so easily. You know, it's like when Jacob was asleep and he says, hold on a minute. The Lord is in this place and I didn't know. But listen to what he says. He said, this is like the gate of heaven. 
you know, it's like things are happening. And I think that's the incredible potential for worship that it creates an atmosphere that makes these things easier. Because think about it. True worship has one object, Jesus. So in an environment, people are more God-conscious. In an environment of worship, people are more God-conscious than self-conscious. So that is what makes worship so amazing. And when, and, when, and when we hit it, most of the major healing evangelists, they'll always have serious worship. Serious worship before they administer to the sick because it makes it easy. Yeah? All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real privilege. Um, tomorrow we'll go part two, hopefully, but God bless you. I really I do appreciate just let you know, um, tomorrow there's a few CDs um, that are there um, of me, unfortunately, or unfortunately. And my wife um, has written a book called Business Pearls. So um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that tomorrow. But go and enjoy your lunch and um, see you tomorrow afternoon at the same time.